Live from Brew House South in Cool Springs, it is Preds Insiders on ESPN 102.5. The game streaming on the Game National app. Ryan Porth here alongside Adam Vingan, my good friend from The Athletic. Adam, it is the eve of opening night in Smashville. The Preds will host the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night at Bridgestone Arena. Pre-game at 6, puck drop at 7 right here on ESPN 102.5. The game but the NHL gets started tonight. This is the best time of year, if you ask me as a sports fan, the month of October. And the NHL gets started tonight with a, uh, a pretty cool doubleheader, Caps-Blues at 7 on NBC, followed by Sharks-Knights, Game 8 from, uh, from the Western Conference first round last year. But here we are, start of NHL season. Let's go. Yeah, there's some great games on tonight. The, the Capitals... Two seasons ago, winning the Stanley Cup, the opponent for the St. Louis Blues last year's winner as they raised the banner. So always good when the champion versus champion matchup can occur. Um, the, the Golden Knights and Sharks have already been getting into it in the preseason. Vander Kane suspended three games for his actions in a preseason game against the Knights the other night for abusive official. Um, those teams despise each other. Uh, I'm sure that game will be not for the faint of heart. Um, I believe the Maple Leafs are already starting their season tonight with the addition or the excuse me the announcement of their new captain against the Ottawa Senators, and then it's Canucks and Oilers, I believe, which is not one I'm going to be staying up to watch. No, you're not going to stay up for that one. No, I think that's four out of four on the on the Prower rankings list of tonight's games. But yes, great to have regular season hockey back on y- this team. Yes or no question: Is Sharks Knights the best rivalry in the NHL right now? It's 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 hard because there's such a limited sample because it's only been a couple of years. But you know when you add what happened in the postseason last year, the personalities on both sides of the ice of Andrew Kane, Ryan Reeves, Joe Thornton. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of personality. These guys are not afraid to get into each other's kitchens, so to speak. So yes. uh, it I. I, I an argument can be made, yes, that it is the current best rivalry or the most contentious rivalry in the NHL. So that's tonight in the National Hockey League. Tomorrow night, obviously, the Preds hosting the Minnesota Wild. We will be broadcasting all day long at Pete and Terry's inside Bridgestone Arena, and you will have a chance to go to Pete and Terry's and register to win opening night tickets. Yes, t- tickets to tomorrow night's game against the Wild throughout the day up until 445 when we draw the final winner. So come by Pete and Terry's. Should be a lot of fun. Doors open at 7 a.m. Morning Drive will be there from 6 to 10 a.m. tomorrow. So that should be fun. Peter Laviolette joins the morning show for Coffee with the Coach at 7.30 tomorrow. Preds have their gold walk at 3.30, so a whole lot of action going on tomorrow for the season opener between the Preds and the Wild. Adam, I want to get your thoughts on lines today at practice before we get into some other stuff. Were you surprised that Kyle Turris was not on the wing alongside Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson at practice today, which would lead you to believe that these lines today are what we'll see tomorrow night in the opener. I was a bit surprised just because Kyle had spent most of training camp uh, playing the wing, which he's very rarely, if ever, done at the NHL level. Uh, But he has been returned to his natural position, centering the third line, uh, the past couple of days at practice between Rocco Grimaldi and Callie Yarncroke. Craig Smith has been elevated to the top line playing his off wing, which I can't remember him ever doing, at least in my time here, playing on the left side of Ryan Johansson. 
and Victor Arvidsson. And the second line still remains Philip Forsberg, uh, Matt Duchesne, and Mikhail Granlin. So I, I liked the idea. Uh, I warmed up to it. At first, I was a bit skeptical of Kyle Turris playing wing. Um, it doesn't mean that he won't at some point. Uh, but putting him in that third line position, of course, strengthens this team's depth down the middle mm-hmm. with Nick Bonino as the fourth line center. But I look at his line mates and I'm curious as to how the Predators expect Kyle Turris to rebound at five on five playing with those two. With respect to those two, they're not as skilled as the typical line mates that Kyle Turris is used to playing with, whether it be here or in Ottawa or at the beginning of his career in Phoenix, now Arizona. Uh, so, um, with as I mentioned, uh, I'm a little nervous is not the right word, but I'm reserving judgment to see if putting Kyle Turris in that position at even strength is going to help him mm-hmm. get back to where they need him to be in order for him to be uh, a key contributor to this team. Well, I do think we get too bent out of shape sometimes with practice lines or just lines in general because yes. they change throughout the season, and we all know Peter Laviolette likes to tinker and likes to test different things. So yes. the fact that Kyle Turris isn't on the wing, we would think, for game one against Minnesota, who knows if next week Kyle Turris gets his shot to play on the wing alongside Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson together. The one thing that I, I do like is that this forsberg duchesne Granlin second line could almost be a first line yeah. on, on, on a lot of teams. And the, the fact that, you know, when Peter Laviolette broke up Jofa early in camp, I was a little skeptical. You know, one, one part of me was like, you know, why would you break up the one thing that got you through most of last regular season, at least offensively? Right. But the more I think about it, the more I think this could really offer a lot of balance in the top six to have – Duchesne and Forsberg on one line, and Johansson and Arvidsson on the other. What I like about the makeup of that top line is that Craig Smith and Victor Arvidsson are among the better players in the league in creating goals and scoring chances off the rush. So you have them both on that line. You can have Ryan Johansson just, hey, take the puck. You know, either side, you've got a guy, you know, streaming down, streaking down the wing. They're very good, both Arvidsson and and Smith at, at scoring in those opportunities. So I, I like I like that makeup a little bit. It gives Craig Smith a bigger role in the offense. Um, that Forsberg Duchesne Granlin line, what I was saying earlier with with Jared and Floyd, was that you know over the summer I did some research on Mikhail Granlund and when he was in Minnesota and putting up those sixty seven and sixty nine point seasons that he had. And 2016-17 and 2017-18, it might have the numbers flipped, but close to 70 points in each season. His primary linemates were Miku Koivu and Jason Zucker, uh, particularly Zucker, who uh, is, is a very high-volume shooter. Granlund was among the top playmakers in the NHL in terms of his ability to, to, to generate primary assists. He was the, he was the main facilitator on that line. So Duchesne and Forsberg, though not a perfect comparison to Koivu and Zucker, are both very strong shooters. If Granlin, now with a full training camp under his belt, feeling more comfortable, can be the main facilitator on that line 
with Forsberg and Duchesne, I really do think that's the best use of his skill set. And I do believe that that could be, uh, as you mentioned, uh, it's almost a 1A, 1B situation. The Predators were a one-line team for most of last season. Now they have two first-line caliber combinations that they can use and and, and it makes it more difficult for teams to defend. Absolutely. This is Preds Insiders, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Vingan of The Athletic at Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, where Smashville Live will originate at the top of the hour. Brayden Gall, Chris Mason, your hosts. David Poyle and Brian Poyle, the GM and assistant GM, respectively, will be their guests here. So if you're driving around looking for something to do on this Wednesday evening, come out to Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. Should be a lot of fun tonight you can also also register to win a pair of tickets to the october 8th home game against san jose so get excited about that now adam at the athletic i believe it was last week you you pulled the predators dressing room you had a survey of who is primed for a big season on this predators roster mm-hmm. you talked with 11 players four went with dante fabro Two with Philip Forsberg, and nine players got one vote. One vote. Mm-hmm. Who would you say, if you had a vote, is primed for a big season for the Nashville Predators? I mean, that's a good question. Um, whether it's hard, whether you're discussing a player who's already had a big season having a bigger season, like Victor Arvidsson, for example. I mean, is Victor Arvidsson, who had 34 goals despite missing 24 games last year? capable of becoming the first 40-goal scorer in Nashville Predators history. The same can be said about Philip Forsberg, who had his season shortened by injuries. Um, is it Kyle Turris bouncing back? Is it Matthew Shane having another 70-point season in his first year in Nashville? But, you know, the, as you mentioned, the, the player in the poll that received the most votes and it might have been the easiest choice was Dante Fabro, just because... He came in as a rookie late last season, played 10 games, including the playoffs. I thought did very well in those high-stakes situations. And now with a full season to go, playing top four with Matias Ekholm, you know, the opportunity is there. I think one player come, that comes to mind for me that wasn't mentioned in the article uh, is Colton Sissons. Why? Um he has improved every year he's been on this team full-time. If you just look at his point total, it's gone up every year. Last year, if I'm not mistaken, he had 15 goals and 30 points, which were both career highs. Mm-hmm. And he has shown an ability to play any position at any point in the lineup, whether it's in the top line, when players are injured, we, most famously during the Western Conference Final and the Stanley Cup Final. He can play third-line center. He can play on the second line. He's typically on the checking line with Nick Bonino and Austin Watson. But I, I like what I see at the Colton Sissons. Those two-way forwards are indispensable. Um, and I think last year he may have overachieved in terms of his shooting percentage and some of those underlying numbers. But I think if he can benefit from similar luck and continue to grow – I don't think 20 goals is out of the question for Colton Sissons. So he might be the guy I, I would pick. So the guy I would pick, and I think we're going to discuss him a little bit more later on in the show, is the one that Ryan Johansson went with. That's Mikhail Granlund. I know Mikhail Granlund's first impression wasn't very good, 
down the stretch last year in the regular season and in the playoffs. He didn't flash as much as I think everyone would have expected after he came over from Minnesota at the trade deadline. But the fact that he's had a full offseason and a full training camp with this roster, he's not hopping on a moving train while also you know, having a new addition in, in his life with, with a, a baby as that happened just a couple days after right? the, his the wife trade was happened. in labor as he received news of the trade. So I think Granlund is going to be in a much better place to succeed, especially because at least to start the season, his line mates are Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. Yeah. I, and as I was saying before, I really do think it's he's, he's being put in a position to rebound. Uh, I, I like the line. I like the role that he could play in the line. And also, you can't forget he's in a contract year, no, and and he's, his current contract pays him an average of five point seven five million against the cap. No, he's going to be wanting to raise that as he, he signs his next contract, so he shouldn't lack for motivation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mikhail Granlund is a good choice for that as well. Coming up next, what do we expect out of Peter Laviolette and the coaching staff this season for the Nashville Predators, especially the power play? We'll get into that next. He's Adam Vingan of The Athletic. I'm Ryan Porth. We are live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, where Smashville Live will originate at the top of the hour. Stay tuned right here on ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game National Live. Welcome back in, Preds Insiders, live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Vingan of The Athletic, taking you up until 7 o'clock when Smashville Live will get underway right here with Braden Gall, Chris Mason, David Poyle, and Brian Poyle. Should be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that. Adam, tease the question before the break. What do we expect out of Peter Laviolette and this coaching staff this season? And let's kind of focus on Peter Laviolette before we get to, say, the power play and the new addition to that coaching staff, Dan Lambert. Peter Laviolette obviously has done a lot for this franchise and has taken this franchise to heights that we've never seen before. Last year was a, a disappointing exit out of the first round in six games. And probably in most other markets, there might be a little more, bit more heat on Peter Laviolette than there has been uh, since game six in, in Dallas. But Peter Laviolette seems to be in a, in a pretty good mindset going into the season, and he is a well-seasoned coach, and the fact that he's kind of evolved over time, especially in his time in Nashville, I think that lends to a bounce-back season, at least for him, behind the bench. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation just because, as, as you mentioned, he, he has been here now for this is his sixth season, which mm-hmm. is hard to believe. But he has been here longer than any of his previous stops in years and in games, whether it was the New York Islanders, Carolina Hurricanes, or Philadelphia Flyers. Um, I really do believe, and I've said this before, that I think this is the first season in Peter Laviolette's tenure here that he is facing immense pressure from outside of the organization, and I mean the fan base specifically. Because this team, this fan base has seen this team go from making it to the Stanley Cup final to winning the President's Trophy and losing in the second round to winning the Central Division based on an inconsistent season and losing in the first round. 
from a playoff perspective, this team has regressed each of the past three years. And at this point, this 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 city has been uh, has grown accustomed to this team being a successful team and a Stanley Cup contender. So I know that a lot of times as we enter this part of the year, we talk about who's on the hot seat, right? I, I wouldn't say that Peter Laviolette is on the hot seat. I described it, I believe, uh, to Morning Drive a couple of weeks ago as a low simmer. It's, you know, it's not, it's the, the heat isn't turned up all the way, but it's, it's on the back burner, it's on low, it's boiling a little bit, but not enough to cause a stir. Mm-hmm. I, I really do think that in the minds of some fans, just based on my conversations with fans and interactions on social media, and of course, ultimately the fans don't have the, the final say in what happens with the coaching staff. But I do think that to a lot of fans that they feel like this is Peter's last chance to prove to them that this is the coach that they believe can lead this team to the Stanley Cup. Do you feel like not only for Peter Laviolette, but this offseason for this entire team was kind of a reset button? Do you get that sense that that, that happened this offseason, being around the team as much as you have been over the last few weeks at the since the start of training camp? Yeah, I, I think that last spring after they were eliminated, I remember David Poyle told my colleague Joe Rexrode in a column that Joe wrote shortly after he joined us at The Athletic that, and, and this is something perhaps that, that can be discussed on Smashville Live, is that the, the exit meetings that David had, if I recall correctly, he told Joe that they were perhaps the most extensive he's ever had after a season throughout the organization because they know that they're better than what they've shown lately, I guess last season specifically. Um, And this team feels that they have what it takes to be what we've all thought they should be or have, should have been already, which is a Stanley cup winner. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, the moves that they made this summer, the, the major moves they made, of course, trading P.K. Subban, signing Matthew Shane. I do believe changes, you know, the makeup of this team. The forward group, you know, annually is among the least productive in the NHL in terms of the percentage of goals scored by forwards. Now they add Matthew Shane to that mix. Hopefully that, cha- that, that goal production shifts from the defense to the forwards because I think that will have a, a, a significant impact on this team's ultimate trajectory. Before I get to the power play, you, you bring something up with the the shift that they made this offseason, which is trading P.K. Subban and signing Matt Duchesne. And there have been a lot of people out there saying, oh, man, I don't think this Preds team can win a Stanley Cup without P.K. Subban. Well, not to use this as gospel, but ESPN.com came out this week with their ranking of the top 31 of all 31 NHL defensemen groups for the 2019-20 season, and the Preds were still third in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, they're... there have been a lot of teams in the last decade that have won Stanley Cups with less talent defensively than the Preds possess right now. I mean, we saw it firsthand in Nashville two seasons ago, or now three seasons ago, I guess, right, with Pittsburgh. I mean. 
think about the six defensemen that Pittsburgh was starting in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, it was not really a murderer's row of blue liners. And they didn't have Chris Letang. And they, exactly. They didn't have Chris Letang. It was Justin Schultz and Brian Dumoulin yeah. and Oli Mata. It was not a, it was not a, a, a fantastic group. It, was it wasn't a, a who's who on the blue line. It was a serviceable group. And I, I really do think that the Predators had gotten as far as they could with having a top four as they've had. And it, and it precedes P.K. Subban. You're talking also about when they had Shea Weber or even perhaps Seth Jones, even though he was more of a third-pairing guy when he was in Nashville. I think it's a realization that it's going. To, it, it needs there needs to be improved forward play from this group in order to push them over the edge. Do you think the there's an evolution that we're witnessing with this Preds roster where forever it has been based on goaltending and defense? And, yes, those two elements are still strong. But the fact that you add Matt Duchesne into that lineup, and like you said last segment, the fact that you look at this Preds roster on paper right now and you can make a case that there are two really, really strong offensive lines if everyone plays to their capabilities, do you feel like we're kind of seeing a little bit of an evolution in who the Predators are? Yeah, and I think to even some of the decisions they made to get to their opening night roster. I mean, they waived Freddie Goudreau, who had three goals in his past 75 regular season games. They waived Mika Salamaki, who has dealt with some serious injury over the past couple of years and hasn't been healthy, but not a player you're going to account for for offense. If my memory serves... Freddie Goudreau and Mika Salamaki in the regular season have a combined 14 regular season goals in their career. You're not going to, that's, that's counterintuitive to what they're trying to do. David Poyle said that his plan this offseason was to improve this team on offense. And you look at some of the, and one move that they did make that we haven't discussed, it's sort of got overshadowed on July 1st was signing Daniel Carr, who made the opening night roster. Now, it doesn't appear that he's going to play tomorrow, that he's going to be the extra forward, but he did have 71 points in the American Hockey League. He did win the AHL MVP last year. In 100 career NHL games, he has shown a really good ability at generating high-quality scoring chances. Now, the issue with the reason why he hasn't been able to stick in the NHL is he hasn't been able to score on those chances with consistency, but the the groundwork is there. So I really do think that this team has made a point to gear their team more towards offense, and I think for the most part they accomplished it. It's not perfect. I still think there are some holes, but I think it's – looks more like what they were hoping for when the offseason began. Coming up next, we will get to the power play. What are our expectations for the power play? How much confidence do we have in this power play after being ranked 31st last season? That's coming up next. He's Adam Vingan of The Athletic. I'm Ryan Porth. You're listening to Preds Insiders live on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back into the show. Live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, it is Preds Insiders. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Vingan of The Athletic coming up at the top of the hour. It will be Smashville live right here, hosted by Brayden Gall and Preds TV analyst Chris Mason alongside Preds GM David Poyle and his son, the assistant GM, Brian Poyle. Should be a lot of fun, a night with the Poyles with Brayden Gall and Chris Mason. Smashville live, if you still have time, come on out. Brewhouse South in Cool Springs 
right next to, to the Galleria. As always, Preds Insiders brought to you by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry. For all your de- dental needs, visit kellyerice.com. Nashville's number one Ford dealer, Wyatt Johnson Ford, Carrie Zire, Remax Elite, and a new sponsor starting tonight, Geno's East on the corner of 3rd Avenue and Korean Veterans Boulevard. And Preds Insiders every Monday and Wednesday throughout this hockey season. Adam, tease the question before the break. The power play, our expect ex, our expectations for the power play. What what do you expect? Because I I would venture to believe the moment they go on a power play tomorrow night, everyone is going to be watching it with a microscope. Well, I wrote a story last week about it in which in which the headline read. The Predators' power play will be better because it can't get any worse. And that's, that's really how I feel about the Predators' power play. There's, really literal, there's literally nowhere to go but up after finishing last season at 12.9%, which was the seventh worst in a single season since 2005-2006. And I really like what I've seen from Dan Lambert, the new assistant coach who was hired primarily to work on the power play albeit in the preseason, but I think the early returns have been positive. Uh, I really like how he has modernized the approach to the power play. The most important thing is that they have uh, moved away from using three forwards and two defensemen. Now they're using four forwards and one defenseman, which is what the league is going to do. Um, I have the stats in my story, I can't remember off the top of my head. The Predators used three forwards and two defensemen on the power play more than any other team in the league other than the Arizona Coyotes. That was, I believe it was 57% of the time they used three forwards and two defensemen on the power play. The league average, I believe, was like 26 or 27%. So they were way above league average in using three forwards and two defensemen on the power play. And as we saw, it, it made them rely too much on passing around the perimeter and looking for one of those defensemen to crank shots from the point, which are low-percentage shots that weren't going in. And the one preseason game that the top unit, which is Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, Yossi, and Duchesne played in, which was the Saturday night game against Tampa, they scored two power play goals, and I really liked how they did it. I mean, Matt Duchesne adds a whole different element to that power play. Think about the goal they scored late in the game to tie it, I believe, or I believe they tied it at 3-3. Um, Ryan Johansson took the puck from the half wall, right-handed shot, went to Duchesne on the goal line, who made a tic-tac-toe play from Johansson to Duchesne to Arvidsson in the slot for the goal. When was the last time you saw the Predators do that on the power play? It's been a while. And, And that's how teams score on the power play. You look at the heat maps of the teams that are very successful on the power play, and they're red right in the middle of the ice, right in the slot, right in the crease. The Predators were as blue as blue could get, ice cold from that area last year. So there seems to be an effort to get the puck to those high-danger areas, so to speak. So I've really liked what I've seen, but you're right. I was on I was on the morning drive this morning with, with Corey Curtis and, and Derek Mason, and they asked a similar question, and I said, I'm going to say it's a healthy mix of, 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 of fear and cautious optimism when that first power play comes on the end. Well, the best thing that Preds fans can hope for tomorrow night is them. they scored two power play goals on four opportunities. 
something of that ilk, at least one, right? One would be good, I think, at this point. Okay. Bar is low. Okay. Let's get it. Let's get one. <laughs> so, at what point? Let, let's say, on paper, it looks a lot better than it's performing again this season. At what point do you get worried that it, it's not working out? How much patience? I guess. Let me put it this way: How much patience should there be with this new power play that Dan Lambert is is basically spearheading for the Nashville Predators? I think at least a month. Uh, you need you need a strong enough you need a strong enough sample in order to really evaluate the changes uh, that are that are being made. Um, so I know that if this team starts off 0 for 10 or 0 for 15 or 2 for 20 on the power play, there's going to be a lot of uh, you know collar tugging <laughs> in the stands. But I don't think that. You know, you can really make a, a, a good judgment until about three or four weeks in. So that, that's at least how long I'm going to give it. Uh, but, of course, depending on who you are, it might differ. It mm-hmm. might be a lot less than that. Well, we all expect the, the first unit of that power play to be pretty successful. I mean, if you have Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, Matt Duchesne, and Roman Yossi on that, that unit, uh, you would think with this this new mindset that Dan Lambert is bringing in for the power play, you would think they will be successful. What do you make of the second power play unit, and what do you expect out of, or not expect out of them, but what do you expect to see in terms of a, a five-person unit who would be on the ice for unit two? Well, it, it, it looks like uh, Kyle Turris, Mikhail Granlund, uh, Callie Yarncroak, or Craig Smith, um, Nick Bonino, and, okay, I'm missing somebody here, and Ryan Ellis. I needed a defenseman. <laughs> Ryan Ellis. Um, which is another strong unit as well. So, you know, that could be a place where we were talking about Kyle Turris earlier about whether or not his point production it, it will increase playing on the third line. You know, the power play is where he can really boost those numbers. So I do think that, you know, when you have Mikhail Graylin, for example, who has shown to be a really great power play producer in his career on the quote-unquote second unit, I think that speaks to the depth that this team has in that regard. So, I mean, it's almost a pick-your-poison kind of thing, which just goes back to the two lines you were talking about earlier. It really all goes back to depth. I think they've done a great job of finding the right depth in the right mix of players. This is Preds Insiders live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Finken of The Athletic. Now, Adam, you also had a story earlier this week with eight sizzling or not-so-sizzling takes on this predator season and one take that you did have was on this power play and your take was that the power play finishes near the middle of the league it was the coldest take there was it was the coldest take that you had yes one out of five flames yes did, did you self-grade those flames for you or yes. did you have somebody else i i i self-graded okay i was i self-graded and i i, I asked ryan ellis after the last home preseason game what he would consider to be uh how much improvement on the power play that he would consider to be a success and he said that you know middle of the pack would be great just because that might mean the difference between winning a game or tying a game late with a big power play goal of course they're 
their uh, goals are loftier than that. They would like to get higher mm-hmm. uh, in the league, finish in the top five. But I think after what happened last year, if they can finish somewhere in that 15, 16, 17 range, which would probably be somewhere between 17 and 19% on the power play, I mean, think about how good this team was points-wise without having a good power play last year. 100 points. They were a strong 5-on-5 team last year, so if you can complement or supplement that 5-on-5 play with a strong power play, this team could be much better. So, I mean, the power play really will have a significant impact, as we saw last year. Well, I think the the impact of even a middle-of-the-road power play that, like, you predict will have an impact at 5-on-5 five five because I do think some of the, the negative momentum that they got from failed power plays did seep into their even strength play. It did, and, and that's really been the number one thing that Dan Lambert and even Kevin McCarthy, who previously ran the power play, mentioned was the number one goal of the power play is even if you don't score, it's creating the positive momentum in order to keep that flowing after the power play is over when you get back to five on five. And players will tell you that last year the conf- their confidence was shot mm-hmm. with how, with how by the end of the season, with how bad the power play was. And it was, having, it was having the complete opposite effect. It wasn't a momentum generator. It was a momentum killer. And that's mm-hmm. not what a power play should be. So you're right. I, I do think that those two things go hand in hand. I definitely think that was the case, too, in the playoffs. Yes, for sure. Going 0 for 15 on the power play in a playoff series is not a recipe for success. Coming up next, we will do a little bit of over-under. I will get Adam's takes on a wide array of different over-under possibilities for the Predators this season. We will get into that next. I'm Ryan Porthies, Adam Vingan of The Athletic. This is Preds Insiders live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. Smashville Live coming up at the top of the hour. And don't forget, tomorrow night, the season opener in Smashville, pregame at 6, puck drop at 7. The Predators host the Minnesota Wild at Bridgestone Arena. Should be a lot of fun. And a new season is finally upon us. Over-unders with Adam Bengen coming up next on Preds Insiders. ESPN 102.5 The Game streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back in, Preds Insiders, live from Brew House South in Cool Springs. We're closing in on the season premiere of Smashville Live with Braden Gall and Chris Mason hosting. And their special guests tonight are David Poyle, general manager of the Predators, and Brian Poyle, assistant general manager. Should be a lot of fun. A night with the Poyles here at Brew House South in Cool Springs. As a reminder, tomorrow, all-day broadcast for ESPN 102.5 The Game at Pete and Terry's at Bridgestone Arena. You can register to win opening night tickets throughout the day up until 445 when we draw the final winner. Gold Walk at 330, Plaza Party at 3. Whole lot going on. Season, oper- season opener for the Nashville Predators against the Minnesota Wild. And as always, you can hear that game right here on your home of the Nashville Predators. Pre-game at 6, puck drop at 7 as the Preds host the Wild. Ryan Porth alongside Adam Vingan of The Athletic here on Preds Insiders. Adam, I want to do a little bit of over-under for this season for the Nashville Predators, okay? Okay. You ready? Yep. I want to start with the subject in which you started with in your eight sizzling and not-so-sizzling takes on the Predators this season. Pecorine, over-under, 50-and-a-half starts. I'll go slightly over. Slightly over? Yes. But you made the statement 
I did. In your takes article that it would be fewer than right, 50. Right, but just because you make a take doesn't mean how that you really stand by it. I okay. mean, that's how Jared Stillman's made a career for himself <laughs> on your station. So. Uh, no, I think that I think something in the 50 to 52 range would be a sweet spot for Pekka. I mean, I can't. it's hard to imagine him starting fewer than 50 unless he was injured. I mean, remember last year he missed a couple of weeks and still started 55 games, but I will take the slightly over okay. on 50.5. I would agree with you. I think he is in that, that sweet spot. He started 55 last year, like you said. That 51, 52, 53 range, as long as he has a full healthy season, I think that is the next the next step for him in terms of turning it over to UC Saros long term. Yeah, I would agree. So, goals for Philip Forsberg. His career high is 33. Over under 33 and a half goals for Philip Forsberg this season. Over. You say that pretty definitively. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be the one of the two, he or Victor Arvidsson, that I believe is going to get to 40, but I think he's going to push it. I mean, the past two years he's missed time because of injury. Before that, he played every game, I think, for the first three years. Of, you have the stats page three, up. The, His first three full seasons. seasons he played 82 games. Correct. So if he can stay healthy... Um, I really do think that he has the ability to do that. I think one thing I would like to see more from Philip Forsberg this season is as, is we've seen in the playoffs and in during the regular season, his ability to take over games, his ability to score these, I can't believe he did that kind of goals. We ha- we didn't see that enough from Philip last year. I know some of it was because he was hurt, but I would like to see that more from him, and I think if he can do that, then he will ultimately uh, reach. Do you think that's what's keeping 40. him from 40? Is maybe that killer instinct taking over games on a consistent basis in the regular season? Maybe. I mean, you think about some of the goals. I mean, I think about that goal he scored. It was a, it was a game one against Colorado a couple years ago. Oh, sick. So he turned Sam Gerrard into a pretzel <laughs> on the ice. Um, I think that if, uh, if he can do that, uh, more often during the regular season. I don't think 40 is out of the question. So I think he'll be over 33 and a half, but not quite 40. Related to Philip Forsberg, over under 0.5 lacrosse-style goals that he scores this under. season. Under. Under? I don't, he hasn't been able to get it yet, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say under. I'm going to say over. Okay. You think it's going to happen point, this year? I'm, playing, I'm, I'm going with the odds here. At some point, Philip Forsberg is going to score that goal. Yeah. And Twitter is going to explode. He has come close a couple of times. He's come very close. I remember last year, I believe it was a game in Dallas. I thought he was about to have it, and I think it was Anton Hudobin was in that, read the play and, and got his shoulder up into the corner of the net just before. That was as close as he's gotten. Or it might have been Arvidsson, one of the two, but it came close. Not only the lacrosse move, but the Michigan move as well, putting the puck on his stick and yeah. trying to just... Basically jam the puck in the net. Right. It could happen. Okay. I'm going under, though. Victor Arvidsson last year, a career-high 34 goals, set the Preds' single-season record with 34 goals. Over under 34.5 goals this season for Victor Arvidsson. Over. I, You know, I just – when you look at his numbers over the past couple of years, they're in all different, all different types of numbers. They're just so impressive. I remember looking it up the other day. You know his his goals. That's his his average of goals per sixty minutes at five on five over the past three seasons. Only one player in the league has a higher average, and that's Austin Matthews. 
I mean, Victor Arvidsson, I think, has shown to be in a, a high-caliber class of five-on-five scorers. Now, we talked about how that could be supplemented by some more power play points and goals. But at five-on-five, five, you know, he, he is as reliable as they come. So I do believe... I will say this. I believe the 34 goals he scored last year will be overtaken by somebody this year. Whether it's himself uh, or, or Philip Forsberg. Yes. Okay. Say that. I'm going to go under. Okay. As long as Philip Forsberg is with Matt Duchesne and Mikhail Granlund, I don't think that top line is going to be as productive as it is with Philip Forsberg on that line. Yeah. I mean, it's, histor- it's historically that line does not play as well when they're not all together. So Correct. someone might have to be the uh, the victim, so to speak, of that lack of cohesion. So when you look at newcomer Matt Duchesne, his career average over a span of 82 games, or every 82 games, is 61.6 points per 82. So over under 61.5 points this season for Matt Duchesne. I will say over, but not he will not get to 70. Okay. Um, he, he had some luck getting to 70 last year. He had a career-high shooting percentage. He had a lot of points on the power play. I, I don't. I do not see him having the same level of puck luck, for lack of a better term, as mm-hmm. he might have had last year. So, I mean, Matthew Shane, you can usually count on for around twenty goals and around sixty points. So, mm-hmm. I will say he'll be over that, but he will not get to seventy again. Okay. Now, in your most recent article on the Athletic. You made the statement that the Predators have a 70-point score for the first time since 07-08. In your mind, who has the best chance of getting to 70? I think it's probably, I think it's probably going to be Philip Forsberg, um, just because he has shown an ability to be a facilitator um, in the past, uh, and that his goal numbers go up, and he has the chemistry with Duchesne, who's also a strong shooter, and Granlund. I, I do believe that he could be the, that player to get to 70. I think he's more he's a better passer in my opinion than Victor Arvidsson. So I think you know I, you know I, I would also like to say Ryan Johansson. I mean he did have 50 assists last year, but the goals numbers aren't. I mean I think he needs to get to at least 20 goals and we haven't seen that yet from him in a predators uniform. So I think Philip Forsberg is the likeliest to reach 70 points. You're high on Matthias Ekholm this season, aren't you? I am. I was. I mean, I was high on him last year. He had a. He he did not put as much. Did not put up as many numbers in the second half as he. He had a career high at the All Star break last year. That's he, how was good he was phenomenal for. I'd say the first what eighty ninety percent of the season, and then the playoffs were bad. And then the playoffs <laughs> were not good for him. Right. But, but no, I, I am high on Matthias Ekholm. His career high is forty four points. Does he? reset that career high this year over under 44.5 i will say under okay um just because i'm not sure if he's going to get the power play time that he got last year when pk was out of the lineup in the first half of the season in the 19 games in the first half of the season that pk suban was injured matias averaged exactly two minutes of of power play time per game and in that 19 game span he had 11 points so i'm not sure he's going to get that power play time if it's going to Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, if they're moving away from the 2D on the power play. So I think that might uh, cut into his uh, his point total a little bit. I still think he'll be in the 35 to 40 range, but I don't see him resetting a career high. Now, in fairness to Matthias Ekholm, he only had seven power play points last year. That is true. And if I'm doing math correctly, it looks like 
30, 35 points at even strength and two shorthanded. So he it's was, not like he was reliant on the power play. He was not reliant on the power play. Reliant on the power play but I think that that was a nice little boost. Even seven is not a huge number, but I thought it was a nice little boost. Okay. So he, if he doesn't have that boost, I think it brings him down below Okay. what he had before. Last and not least, 98.5 points for the regular season over-under. That is the current bet online over-under for the Preds for the yes. regular season. I said in the story that they will go over, so I will stick with that. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sure that more than 98.5 points is going to win them the Central. Um, I, I think one of St. Louis, Colorado, or Dallas is going to win the Central. They won it with 100 points last year. It was very tight. Um, you know, I think it's going to be very tight again this year. I think they're going to be in position to challenge for it all season long. But I think one of those three teams is going to prevent them from pulling off the division three piece. I will say over 98. I, I think you could easily put those three teams and Nashville in a blender and however it shakes out, I could see that happening. Yeah, I could too. I think they're all going to make the playoffs. All four of those teams. It's just what, at what position and who might get that wild card spot. Do you think there's a fifth team out of the central to make the playoffs? Yes. I think it's five teams out of the central this year. Is Winnipeg that 15 or, or is it Chicago? That's hard. Um, I might give it to Chicago. I mean, I think when, uh, Winnipeg, I know they just recently re-signed Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. There's still some uncertainty surrounding Dustin Bufflin. I, for, I, th- I feel like their demise, their demise entering the season might be greatly exaggerated. I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people feel like they're going to you know, plummet. I don't see that. But for some reason, I think Chicago, they've been out of the playoffs now, what, for two years in a row? I can't. I just don't see a third. I think they find a way to hover around the conversation all season, and they sneak okay. in as the fifth team in the Central. Adam, Adam Vingan of The Athletic, thank you so much for being here at Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, and thanks as always for joining me here on Preds Insiders. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the season premiere of Smashville Live. Absolutely. For Adam Vingan, I'm Ryan Porth. We, we are going to turn it over here shortly to the premiere of Smashville Live. Braden Gall, Chris Mason. We'll be joined by David Poyle and Brian Poyle here at Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. It is Smashville Live coming up next on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game Nashville app.